0: You can tell because people are still trying to get into this nation, not get out of it. So there must be something that's better here than everywhere else. It may not be everything we'd like and everything it used to be, but it's still a lot better than everywhere else. And every time I travel out of this nation, I come back here. I'm so grateful because there's so many freedoms and things that we have and we take for granted that other nations don't have. And the danger is if we ever can take it for granted too much, we'll eventually lose it because that's what the lesson of history is that teaches us. But this nation is a great nation, not because we've, just because we've had great leaders. This nation is a great nation only because God has blessed America. One of the lessons of the Old Testament is that God had to teach some of those kings like Nebuchadnezzar, who was so full of his own authority, where he got it from. And if we ever forget that, then God, out of his grace and mercy, may have to teach us the same thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We pray for this nation right now. Lord, on this weekend when we remember the declaration that birthed this nation. Lord, we remember this, and as we look back and remember it, we're grateful for this nation. For, Father, your hand was upon it from the beginning. It was a land that took refugees that were from other nations. It was a land that was a place where people could come and worship you freely and openly, where in their homeland they were persecuted for how they worshipped you. So it was a nation of great abundance and great blessing materially in many ways, Father. And Lord, this has been a nation that you have blessed with leaders in the past, and leaders, Lord, that have led us through many dangers, trials, and snares. We've come by your grace. But this has been a nation, Father, that has also been an example of what you're like, because this is a nation that has fed the poor of the world. This is a nation that's defended the weak and those that were under attack, even shed the blood of our own sons and daughters on foreign soil that others may be saved and others may be set free. This is a nation, Father, that has taken the gospel and sent it throughout the world. And this is a nation that is blessed because of those things. But, Father, we're at a crossroads right now. When this nation needs the blessing and help of other nations now, Father, to be strong and to come through the time where we are right now. And we call upon the God that has blessed this nation in the past to not give up on us, but to continue let your grace shine and may your church awaken. May your church, your people, your body of Christ awaken to where we are that we may stand strong and carry out your will in this nation at this time. And Father, today may we hear from your Spirit what the spirit would say to faith christian center this day and for that we thank you in advance in Jesus' name amen Amen. open your bibles with me to daniel chapter six i've i've not really I, i really don't know what the message is today well what i mean by that is i there's i know scriptures and i know some things that are stirring around in me but usually i've have i can reduce it to one sentence and I don't know what that is yet. So we're going to find out together. Amen? All right. Some of you are excited about that. <laughs> I am. Praise the Lord. But while you're turning there, I just, this is and it's part of I guess is because. Uh, What I had scheduled is to get into Daniel chapter 6. We've been talking about worship and and the challenge that that the Bible shows us that when Satan begins to get control of things, ultimately what he will challenge is our worship. And we saw that with the three Hebrew children. And we saw that in a nation that was told, that was not just commanded, but they were trained to worship what the king told them they had to worship, that there were three men that refused to bow their knee to worship a foreign god, to bow their knee to worship an idol, to bow their knee to what they were told they had to worship. And they were willing to burn instead of bow. And because of that, the Son of God showed up. They weren't spared being thrown into the fiery furnace, but in the fiery furnace, Jesus showed up. God showed up with them. And so we saw out of that that they had an experience with him. They, had a, uh, they came to know him at a level that they didn't know him before. And so much, so often life teaches us and the Bible teaches us that it's only through the challenges to our faith. It's only through the challenges to our belief. It's only through the challenges to our relationship with him that we get to know him the most intimately. It doesn't have to be that way, I suspect, but that's what it tends to be because as human, na- human beings, our tendency when everything's going well is to just sit back and enjoy the fact That everything's going well because we just like things to be easy and secure and safe but we're not living in an easy secure and safe world and we really only grow in our faith through the challenges the apostle paul discovered that you know we all love to have the victory of the apostle paul we all but the way he learned those victories was through going through the challenges and the difficult times we want the victories without the battles we want to overcome without having anything to overcome but in the letters that Jesus dictates to the churches in, in Revelation, in each one he says something about overcoming, to him who overcomes. Well, that tells me there are things we're going to have to overcome. That doesn't sound exciting, but then I discover Paul learned a secret. It's in Romans chapter 5. He says, For we, we learn to glory in this grace in which we have, this grace in which by, now by, by, through faith I now can have peace with God through faith in Christ. He says, not only that, but I've learned to glory in hope. And I glory, and this is the thing that you looked in the Old New Testament, and you wonder whether their heads were screwed on right. Because it says, they gloried in their tribulation. Wait a minute, something's wrong with that. I don't like tribulation. That's trouble. Do you? I mean, come on. We don't like it, except Paul learned to glory in it. Why? Because he learned something. Because he says, I learned this, that, Tribulation produces perseverance. Some translations say patience. It means steadfastness. Not moved. Not up, in, up one day, down the next day. Not, you know, when things are going well, praise God, hallelujah. The next day, you know, I don't know where God is. He's left me. I'm mad, you know. But steady, consistent success. Paul said, I've learned the secret because through my tribulation, I've learned Perseverance. And then through perseverance as I've lived that out, it's produced in me, some translations say, proven character. don't hear a lot about character anymore. Character is not just something you're born with. It can be developed. And he said, and if I live out that proven character, it eventually produces in me a hope that will not be disappointed. And that hope is a steadfast steadfast confidence that ultimately everything's going to turn out all right. Maybe not even here, but everything's going to turn out all right, there and Paul says I'm not moved from that no matter what happens to me Romans 8 chapter Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 38 says I've, I've learned that I'm persuaded that no matter what happens to me it can't change me or shake me because it can't separate me from the love of God that's been given to me in Christ Jesus and we live in a time when the church of the United States is shaken by almost everything that happens And I have to confess that I have to deal with that at times. You look at the news and you begin to get shaken, and that means I need to develop more perseverance. My faith got to be dealt stronger. And so we looked at the three Hebrew children that refused to bow, and as a result, they didn't burn. And Jesus showed up. And then as we ended last time, what we saw was that what happened was, as a result, it had an impact on their nation. Nebuchadnezzar, who had built this idol, now recognized that the God that they served was the true God, and he declared that if anybody didn't worship that God, that they'd be thrown in the fiery furnace. Well, that's not quite how God, that's not evangelism in God's eyes. And so that's kind of where we ended last time. And so we're going to get into Daniel today, but but before we did, what was what's stirring in me this week when we were away, and I was meditating on you know, where we're going with this message, and, and it struck me this, what this weekend is. This is a weekend, yes, Friday was July 4th, and it's not just the time to wear red, white, and blue and sing patriotic songs. What it signifies, it's, it's the 238th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. What most people don't remember or realize is that the war had already been going on for a year. The war didn't start on July 4th, 1776. It had started back in April of 1775. And in, and this is one of the things that I've... My, one of my interests has always been the Revolutionary War. I love reading about it. I don't have much time to do it anymore. But one of the eye-opening things to me was that, that the Revolutionary War had already started a year before they declared independence. And, and you say, well, that's kind of strange. Why would they wait that one? Because we don't understand what their mentality was. Most of these leaders believed themselves and thought that they were loyal British citizens. They, went, they grew up as British citizens. Some of them came here as British citizens. Some of them were born here, but they saw themselves as a British colony and were British citizens under the authority of King George III. And gradually what happened is the tyranny of the kingdom and of his taxes began to be imposed on them, And it got to the point where some of them decided they couldn't live that way any longer, and so they had to do something. And really, their hand was kind of forced because of their resistance. The British kept sending more and more troops over until the Battle of Lexington and Concord back in April of 1775. But unless you study that, what you don't realize is that their mentality because we, 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 look, we look back on this 238 years later, seeing the result, living in a nation that enjoys freedom and enjoys all kinds of benefits and blessings because of the stand that they took, but if they weren't, didn't have the benefit of looking 238 years in the future and seeing what the was, they didn't have the benefit of looking a year in the future and seeing what the result was going to be. Most of them that signed that declaration understood that by signing that, they were signing a death warrant against themselves because to sign that declaration was to rebel against the reigning king of England of whom they were sub- to whom they were subjects. It was treason. They were committing treason in the eyes of the British government by signing the Declaration of Independence In fact, if I recall correctly, when the British were marching out to Lexington and Concord, some of the leaders like Samuel Adams and I've forgotten who else were being hidden in a house along the way because the soldiers were looking for them to hang them I'm sharing that this morning because we don't realize that when we fly our flags and we have hot dogs or whatever you did on July 4th or maybe doing today because of the weather of July 4th. And whatever we're celebrating, we don't realize back what they had to face in the decision that they made. It was all or nothing for them. It was not like, you know, we're going to take this step and, you know, hopefully it's going to work out. And if it doesn't, hey, we'll just go back to what we... No, if it didn't work out... If they didn't win, they hanged and their property was taken away from them. They risked everything by signing that declaration of independence. But what was stirring in my heart of why that's so important for us to think back on is there's a lesson in that. We sang songs this morning about freedom, that Christ has set us free that we are to enjoy that freedom, and yet so few Christians really enjoy the freedom that we've been given through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. What we don't realize is that there's there's a risk to being free. There's a risk to being free. You see, what they did on July 4th, 1776, is they declared in writing, their independence from the King of England. They took a stand publicly in writing that ran the risk of their giving up their lives and their families and everything they had. They put it all on the line by declaring that they were free. There was no way to hedge this bet there was no way to say, well, look, let's kind of see how this progresses because it wasn't progressing very well. And in fact, the next year, it got even worse. The rest of that year was a disaster militarily. By the time the war came to, that year came to the end, Washington was on the banks of the Delaware River, lost every battle, had an embarrassing battle as they had to vacate New York City. And his troops were about to leave because their enlistment was up December 31st, and it's freezing cold. It was the worst winter they'd had in years, standing on the shores of the Delaware River, deciding what to do. There's a very poignant scene where Washington pleads with his troops to not go home because they were farmers, most of them. They'd left their families and their wives and their children were running their farms, and they were running out of food and running out of bullets, and they, were, they weren't an organized army. They were a militia That had volunteered for like six months at a time, and the whole Connecticut militia was up. Their enlistment was up, and there were others that were up. And they were ready to go home, and that's what they wanted to go home back to where it was comfortable, or at least moderately comfortable back to their families. They wanted to go back to the things that they'd left. But the amazing thing about Washington's leadership because even the Congress wasn't voting the money to pay them that they'd already been promised but there was something on washington that communicated to them just stick with me a little bit longer and of course they crossed the delaware on christmas eve and have the battle to turn the tide of the began to turn the tide of the war around there were others my point is that they risked everything to obtain the freedom that they enjoyed then and then that you and i enjoyed today they put it all on the line And they did it by publicly declaring where they stood. Now, where that ties in with us is that's what the three Hebrew children did. Did you find Daniel chapter 6 yet? I just wanted to make sure you had time to do it. (laughs) All right. But it really fits in with what we've been talking about. And that's why I felt to spend a little bit of time talking about what we're remembering on July 4th, and how it ties in, because it's a lesson for us today. What are you and I prepared to publicly declare to the world? The independence that we sang about this morning, that Christ has set me free, are we willing to publicly declare that, even at the risk of everything? Are we? That's the question we need to ask ourselves and if not, then we need to be honest before God and honest before ourselves. And this is something God's been searching my heart about. It's not like I'm way out ahead of you. God's been dealing with me about this. In fact, one of the challenges as a pastor when you go on vacation is God has a better access. God and your wife have an undisturbed access to you, whereas you're here at work it's, so, and they both had access to me and God began to challenge me about some things which, of course, I'm going to eventually challenge you about. That's why he does this. Daniel chapter 6. Let's just read through it or parts of it, and then I'll share some things just out of my heart that I think God's showing us here. Now, just for background here from Daniel's perspective, because where we left off was the three Hebrew children. For those of you that may not have been here or forgot, um what we've been talking about is worship and we're looking at in Daniel chapter 3 was the story of the three Hebrew children as I said a, a few minutes ago what was challenged was who they were going to worship and they were told that when you hear the sound of the music and we talked about the fact that the music trains us what we're going to worship the music that we listen to that our children listen to that we listen to it's training us it's, 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 it's training us it's, it's programming us to bow to something And they were being programmed to bow to this idol that was being presented to them. We saw that the reason the three Hebrew children did not bow is back in chapter 1. They'd already consecrated themselves to only allow into their lives. In that case, it was their diet. To only allow into their lives the things that God had told them to eat. And we need to look at the things that God tells us to listen to and the things that God tells us to put into our soul as well as into our body, but especially our soul. And so we've talked about that. And so when those three Hebrew children were under Nebuchadnezzar, they had been part of this group that was brought over out of of Jerusalem in about 597 B.C., and they were brought over by the Babylonians, and Nebuchadnezzar was the ruler of the Babylonians. And Daniel was one of those children that was brought over also. But what's happened between Daniel 3 and Daniel 6 is the Babylonian empire has fallen apart, and it's been taken over by a coalition of the Medes, and the Persians together under King Darius. And so I want you to understand this, that one of the interesting things of the book of Daniel is that there's three kingdoms that come and go during the, during the, the time that Daniel covers, but the one thing that remains consistent is Daniel and the three Hebrew children. So Daniel stands no matter who the king is. Nebuchadnezzar rules, but they won't bow, Nebuchadnezzar goes, Daniel and the three Hebrew children stand. Balthasar and the coalition comes in, they fall apart, Daniel continues to stand. And now Darius is here as king, and Daniel continues to stand. We're going to see why and the key to this. What that tells us is the church is not dependent on the favor of the government in order for us to stand The church is not dependent upon the tax status that the IRS gives us or the tax status that the IRS gives to our contributions. The church is not dependent on those things in order to stand. And when we start depending on those things, we begin to compromise the way the Hebrew children were tempted to compromise. The church is not dependent On the government funding or programs, it's not dependent on anything but the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Didn't Jesus say the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? How many other how much other gates? And so Daniel is this story is at a time when Darius is king. Under a different reign, the Medes and the Persians are reigning together. All right. We'll pick up in verse 4. Well, I want to go back and look at... Um, now. let's start at the beginning. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Those were uh, like governors and, and senators and congressmen. To be over the whole kingdom and over these he set three governors of whom Daniel was one and the satraps might that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss so Daniel is not just one of the not just one of the of the of the governors he is one of the three the whole nation is ultimately under three of them and Daniel is one of those three and that's important because these men that are going to create the problem are jealous of the favor that Daniel has. Favor from God is priceless. Favor from God is priceless. It will take you to amazing places. The Bible tells us that a man's gift will make room for him. You don't need to make room for yourself. The gift that God gives you, the favor that God gives you, will make... In fact, I learned to not go anywhere where his favor wasn't. When I was looking for jobs before God called me here, I looked for where God gave me favor, not what looked the best, not even what paid the best. I looked for where God's favor was because where God's favor was, that's where his leading and guiding would be. That's just a little side thing. Some of you are looking for jobs because you're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for the money and the prestige and the security. Look for the favor of God and where the favor of God will be, the provision of God will be. It's not always looking in the form that you would, the world, see the world tells you what a secure and good job is like. It's interesting, I don't anywhere this morning. On the way to Maine, which is where we were, we had to drive twice, up Route 128. We lived in that area for 14 years. And one of the major corporations in that area, in fact, the founder's home was near where we lived, was the Polaroid... Corporation, one of the Fortune 500, one of the one of the the, the, the New York Stock Exchange, uh, a part of their Dow, their Dow Jones index. The building isn't even there. The corporation's gone. This major financial institution is gone. So don't build your life and your security around your job and around the security of that company or that job. You better build it on God and His faithfulness and on your trust in Him. Because God will sustain you when Polaroid can't. Some of you don't even know what a Polaroid is. Ask somebody with white hair or no hair. <laughs> It was it. It was... All right. Verse 3, So this Daniel distinguished himself among the governors and the satraps because of it. Look at this. Because an excellent spirit was in him. That's God's favor. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps brought some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Wouldn't you love this to be your testimony? But they could find no charge or fault against him. This is not just God's favor and God's love and God's grace. You've then got to walk it out. Daniel was a righteous man. Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel was a man of character. Daniel was a man that represented his God well by the way he by the way he worked, by the attitude he had, and as a result, he had such a reputation that when his enemies tried to find some reason to bring a charge against him, they could find nothing. So the only thing they can do is to set him up based on his faith in his God. Peter talks about suffering apostle Peter. He says, if you're suffering because you've done something stupid, that's not giving glory to God. If you're suffering because you've done something wrong, that doesn't give glory to God. But if you're suffering for doing what's right, that pleases God. If you're standing for righteousness and that causes you to have to suffer through some difficult times, that's pleases God but when you suffer because you've done your suffering as a consequence of what you've done that doesn't bring glory to God and it doesn't please God so the only thing they could find to charge against Daniel for was his faith in his God when you come to that place where you everything's on the line that's why I mentioned the the the, the history of of this of this July 4th and why that's so important they put everything on the line and when they put everything on the line they got the freedom they got the prize. And so many of us are so, we're so, we're so we're intoxicated with, with the comforts that we have and the securities that we have that we're very slowly being lulled out of faith in our God and being taught to put our faith in the things that we have and faith in our government and faith in... I'm not saying anything about the government, but whatever the government is, good, bad, and ugly, Whatever nation it is, our faith cannot be ultimately in our nation to provide for us. Okay. Let's see what happens to Daniel. Now some of you, well, we won't go there. They could find no charge of fault in him because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, men said well, we won't find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So they're going to be... He's going to be persecuted because of his faith in his God. And I'm telling you, this is coming. It's already starting. It certainly is in other parts of the world. Then these men said, we, should not, we shall not find... It. I already read that. Verse 6 then. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king... And said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. And all the governors of the kingdom and the administrators and the satraps and the counselors and the advisors have consulted together and we've established, we've come up with this new law, this royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree, sign the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, of course he knew what was going on. He's one of the three supreme governors. He understood what was going on, and he waited until after it was signed. So there's a law that's now been signed that can't be changed even by the king. Because under the law, see, under Nebuchadnezzar, he was absolute law. He could do whatever he wanted. But the Medes and the Persians, the king did not have quite that absolute authority. They had a governing set of laws that the king had to abide by. We won't go there. But even the king had to abide by the law of the land. And so now that he signed it, that's what it refers to. It says, by the law of the Medes and the Persians, he can't change it because we're going to see. He wanted to, but he couldn't. Now, when Daniel, verse 10, knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he's not hiding in the basement. we're going to see exactly what he was doing in a minute. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Look at this. As was his custom since early days. In other words, first of all, he didn't change anything he was doing. Because the law of the land now said that your life is threatened because of what you used to do yesterday, the way you worshiped God yesterday, the way you prayed yesterday, it's now not only illegal that you will be thrown into a den of lions if you do today what you used to have the freedom to do yesterday. And he didn't change one thing he did. What would we do If between today and next Sunday, a law was passed in this land that said to attend a Christian meeting was an act of treason and you would be executed and everything you have would be taken away from you, what would we do next Sunday? I suspect we wouldn't need two services. I hope i showed up. (laughs) What would we do? But you see, as we've learned before in looking at these Hebrew children, Daniel had already made decisions before it got to the point. See, he didn't pick when this was going to happen. He didn't say, look, I need another couple of weeks to get ready. I need to get my Bible out now and find it, first of all and get it out and start going through and building my faith up. I need to start doing that now because i got to get ready for this. No, he already had developed habits in his life. I can't tell you how important habits are. Almost all of you have had to deal with bad habits. All of us have had to deal with bad habits. And how hard they are to overcome because they create a momentum going in a certain direction. And so, you know, you can get in this habit. You know, that's what New Year's resolutions are. I'm going to change my habits this year. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And unless you develop the habit, you will eventually shrink back. You will eventually slip back into what your old habits were. Most of us have had the experience of coming, especially with some visiting speaker, and they'll give some kind of altar call and say, you know, I surrender all. I surrender. And we all come up in response to that song and we surrender before the Lord and we're completely sincere. We completely mean what we're doing. It's out of the emotion of our heart and the sincerity of our heart. And within 24 hours, we're back doing what we were doing before. Why? Because in the sentiment of the emotion, we felt inspired to do something, but we never changed our habits. Your habits are what govern your practices and your practices eventually govern your character and eventually govern what you will stand for and not stand for so the little habits that you develop in your life I've developed a habit when I get up I read my Bible I don't even think about it, I just get up and do it and there's some days it's just the most wonderful experience in the world and there's some days it's not the most wonderful experience in the world but I do it anyway because it's a habit you eat out of habit sometimes we eat things we don't even know we're eating just out of habit I found earlier or at the end of last year that I put on about 10 pounds I didn't want to put on and I discover what's happening as I come home at night tired and I go right to the cabinet and take out a jar of peanuts and I'm just going to have a handful of peanuts but while I'm talking to Anita and going over the day I've had two or three handfuls of peanuts and now my appetite's really stirred up so I want some cheese and crackers this is before supper then I wonder why I've put some weight on It's amazing when I change that habit. When I change that habit, my weight began to change. It began to change other habits. So you can change habits, but habits will determine ultimately what you're building your life on. Years ago, we just established the habit of coming to church. We just go to church. We don't think about it. Wednesday night, even though when I was back practicing law and I was practicing law in Worcester an hour away, we lived down here, I would leave court, I would leave a meeting sometimes, I would get in my car, sometimes we didn't have time to go home to get, we just, my kids and we'd come to church we, because we came to church. And on those times when it was hard and I was tired, and some of you know what I'm talking about, we did it anyway, why? Because we already made the decision during the habits that we developed. And so the habit that Daniel developed the habit, the custom that he had was three times a day he got on his knees and he gave thanks to his God openly. That's how they knew how they could get him. They knew how they could get him because he was open about it and that was his habit. So we need to ask ourselves, what are the habits that we're built into our lives and are they drawing us closer in our relationship with God Or are they pulling us away? Because you're either getting closer to him or you're drifting away. There's no such thing as stagnant. When we lived in Oklahoma, they had I mean I'm I'm from the Northeast. And you know, I've always lived by the water and we lived out in Oklahoma, and some of you may be from there, and don't get offended at this, but one of the things I did not like there is they didn't have the ocean. It wasn't their fault, they just didn't have it. And they would say, well, you know, we have, we have lakes here. And I said, that's not water. I know it's wet. First of all, you made it there. You dug a hole and you poured water in there. I said, but it doesn't move. It doesn't go up and down with the, with the, day, with the tides. And it just stays in the same place. You can stick a boat out there and it's going to stay there. Now, where we were just now is at the mouth of a river. And if you don't know the right spot on that river, you'll end up way out in the ocean. And I've seen people do that. I've seen people try to swim across this thing and end up way down out, have to get picked up by the Coast Guard because it's always moving. There's no such thing as getting out on a river like that and just being stationary. You are either going upstream or you're coasting downstream. You're not staying still. And the flow of the river is the easiest thing to go with. So if you do nothing, you'll go with the flow of the river. But Jesus said to his disciples that if you want to get close to God, the way is the narrow way. It's the hard way. It's going upstream, which says several things. It requires effort all the time. Because in this river, if you stop paddling, you're going downstream. You can be headed upstream, but you're going downstream. See, it's not the direction you're headed. It's the direction you're moving. And there are a lot of people in church headed towards God, but moving in the other direction. Oh, that would preach. A lot of us in church are headed towards God. We're looking at Him. I love you, Lord. I worship you, God. But my life's headed downstream. Why? Because I'm not putting effort into it to paddle upstream. So the first thing is it requires effort to go upstream to get to the goal. The second thing is everybody around you is going the other way because that's the easiest thing to do. So you've got people that are just kind of on their rafts floating by you saying, I don't know why you're struggling. This is fun. But where are they going? Because Jesus says... Wide, you notice rivers get wider at the mouth? Wide and easy is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow and difficult is the path that leads to everlasting life. So if you're not moving towards Him, you may be facing Him, but you are drifting away from Him. And so we've got to look at the habits in our life and this is one of the things God's challenging me about. Nothing in my life that I know of is a sin per se in terms of that but the challenge has been that's not good enough. See, in the church we've kind of bought into this idea that to love God and to serve God means I just can't sin which means can't do things that everybody knows are wrong. But there's more to that. Who are you seeking? Jesus talks a lot about who you're seeking. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a heart issue. Who we're seeking is a heart issue, not an external issue. If you get the heart seeking after him, the things we do will begin to line up. That's why Jesus talks in there about the heart so much in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God. He said you can't serve or seek God and mammon or the things of this world. It's all about who you're seeking. If your eye is... Well, I won't get into that because that's a whole teaching I get off on too. I don't want to do, take the time to do that. And so Daniel had developed habits in his life that were purposefully seeking a relationship closer to the Lord. We need to ask ourselves, what are the habits? Because they're easy. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about laying aside every sin and the habits and the weights that so easily ensnare us. He's talking about running a race with endurance. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, You know, you look at the Olympics. They all discipline themselves, and they run. Everything they do is with the purpose of winning that. They didn't have a gold medal back then. It was a laurel wreath. Everyone runs purpose. Everything they do in their life is purpose towards this goal of being the first in the race for which they only get a laurel wreath to wear, and, of course, that's going to dry up. He says, but you and I are running a race that not just one person can win. We can all win but it requires that same determination, that same sacrifice, that same purpose in our lives that we would finish that course with joy, laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so Daniel had developed this habit in his life, a prayer. Whether he felt like I'm sure there were days he didn't feel like it. In fact, I've learned... See, what I used to do is if I didn't feel close to God, I just, well, I'd say, Hello, God, how are you today? Nice to see you. I'm not quite that bad, but, you know, I'd spend a few minutes and then I'd leave. Now what I've realized, that's when I need to spend more time, when I don't feel anything. Because if, again, we're led by our feelings, the devil will talk you out of every habit that needs to be built into your life for when that challenge ultimately comes. So Daniel... I had a question in my heart as I was praying over this this morning and we'll go on in a minute and I'm not the first to raise this question but it was stirring in me today where are the Daniels today? and I'm speaking to the young people today especially right now God has called you young men and young women to be Daniels and whether you're a man or a woman because young people, it's easier for them to see things as just right and wrong. It's easier for them to, to be sold out to something. And the question is, what are you sold out to? What are you giving your life over to? Because unless you are purposefully giving your life over to the Lord, you are giving your life over to the enemy of your soul. Slowly but Surely but God is calling young men and women today to be Daniels. He's calling all of us to be willing to be, live a life that's consecrated towards Him. Because understand this, if you'll do that for a few years, if you'll do that for a few years, if you'll just commit yourself to whatever He has for your life, for just a few years, you're going to live in eternity with the reward eternity with the reward for having been faithful to to finish the call that God has on your life. And that's true for all of us. When it looks overwhelming, when it looks like, I don't know that I can continue to do this, remember it's only for a little time. But oh, because the way you live your life for the Lord here determines what you get there Amen. forever forever that's why Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 having talked about the beatings and the hunger and the, and the threats that he went through and all the stuff he went through he ends around verse 15 saying this momentary light affliction you need to read what that was on your worst day It was Paul's best. This momentary light affliction is earning for me an eternal weight of glory. Wow. Comparing time, this momentary, his life-serving God, all the things he went through were in terms of eternity. This momentary thing I went through This momentary struggle when I didn't have anything, when I was in that prison for you, this momentary struggle I went through when I was in the shipwreck, this momentary struggle I went through when they were persecuting me and they were beating me, this momentary thing I went through, it was momentary compared to the eternal reward it was worth. And then he compares how heavy and light, he says, in spite of what it looks like to you, compared to what's coming, it was light compared to the eternal weight the glory that awaits me we make that choice every day little choices little choices daniel made little choices every day to get on his knees little choices to get on his knees and not hide his faith from those that were around him Well, let's go on Verse 11. Now, and then these men assembled and found Daniel praying. And they knew, oh, they knew where to find him at the time of prayer. His enemies knew where to find him at the time of prayer because he was faithful to do, to, to pray before his God. So they go to his house and they see him praying. And they went before the king in verse 12 and they spoke. Concerning the king's decree, says, "Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or any man within thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions?" And the king said, "It's true, and it can't be altered." Verse thirteen. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who's one of the captives of Judah, he doesn't show you due regard, O king, or for the decree that you've signed, but he makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased, not with Daniel. With himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. Daniel had such favor with the king that the king's trying to find some loophole to get Daniel out of having to go into the lion's den. When the king heard these words, he was greatly displeased. He set his heart to deliver him. And he labored until the going down of the sun to deliver him, trying to find some way in the law, some loophole in the law. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it's the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree or statute which the king has established may be changed. So the king gave command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the lion's den. And the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Look, at this is the king, the pagan king because of Daniel's faith, because of the witness of the way he lived his life, his reputation, look at the glory God's already getting. The king is seeing something in Daniel about the God that Daniel serves. The proof to the king that this God was real, was the way Daniel lived his life. Not just when things were going well, when he was being made second in command under Darius, but when his life was threatened, and he still did what he did towards his God, that was the proof to the king, that Daniel's God was real. The witness of our God to the world, hinges on our faithfulness to him, when things don't go well. Because it's a natural tendency to worship something that gives you what you want. Didn't the devil come and to test Job and say to God, look, he only serves you because you bless him. He only serves you because you bless him. That's the idea of the world. That we serve our God because God blesses us, God provides for things. But when, what, what happens when things turn upside down in your life? Do you still stay the same with him? That's when our testimony rings to the world because it's not what the world sounds like the testimony of their God sound like when their gods don't feed them they go find some other God okay so the king says your God whom you serve he will deliver you the stone was brought and laid across the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the signets of the Lord so that the purpose concerning Daniel may not be changed the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought for him, and his sleep went up from him. He spent the night fasting and praying for Daniel. The king did. The king arose early in the next morning and went in haste to the den of the lions. When he came to them, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions so that they've not heard of me. What comes to mind is Psalm 34, which says, The angel of the Lord surrounds those who fear Him and saves them from all his, their troubles. The angel of the Lord surrounds those who reverence their God, who fear their God, reverence Him. Psalm 34, that is. Because I was... Look at what... He sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before God, Him, and also, O King, I have done nothing wrong before you. I'm saying again, the way we live our life before God and before the world is critical. Our righteousness is critical to what God's able to do for us. We don't earn His love by living a righteous lifestyle, but we earn there, there is God cannot honor unrighteousness. It's kind of like stepping out. We just had torrential rains. I assume you did here. We did where we were. You know, you step out from underneath the porch, and I would have gotten soaking wet. But if I stay under the porch, I stay dry. Well, when we live our life according to the righteous standard God has called us to, there's a protection that's there. There's a protection to righteousness. There's a protection, not perfect, not perfection, but to to what you know in your heart is right and what you know God enables you to do, to live that right out, not just right before God, but right before those that are around us. There's a protection that comes with that. And so Daniel is not saying, look, look, notice what Daniel's not saying. He's not saying, oh, king, because of my great faith. And faith had to be involved in it But it's not just because of his great faith, it's how he lived his life. Because I've done no wrong. And now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take him, Daniel out of the den. Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he believed in his God. There's the faith and what we just read was his righteous living. The king gave command, and they brought those men who accused Daniel. And they cast them in the lion's den with their children and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they came up from the bottom of the den. And King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God of steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues his works and signs and wonders in heaven and earth. Who has to, and he is the one who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Again, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel stayed the same through Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, Cyrus, the Persians, and Darius, the Medes and Persians. They came and went, and Daniel, with the favor of God, with the righteousness of God, and with his faith in God, which wasn't moved by whatever came against him, stayed the same. How does that relate to us? As we look at this July 4th weekend and we come back to what we talked about in the very beginning about those men that huddled together in Philadelphia in that horrible heat of July of 1776 when smallpox was rampant and other diseases were there and it was just terrible. I mean, their air conditioners weren't working. <laughs> they didn't have anything like that. We forget what that would have been like. They were willing to risk everything. They were willing to sell out and literally put their necks on the line for their freedom. Jesus did that for us. Jesus sold everything. He gave everything he had for your freedom and my freedom from the power of sin. Hebrews chapter 2 says that because of his love for us, he took on flesh so that he may be made like us, so that through the dying of his flesh, he might destroy him, Satan, who had the power of death, and that because through the fear of death, we were subject to bondage all our lives. So he destroyed our enemy by giving up everything. And that's why we come and we worship him, But Jesus said something else. He says in Matthew chapter 10 that in order to be his disciple, we have to do the same thing. In order to be his disciple, we don't just come to church. In order to be his disciple, we don't just listen to Christian music and read our Bible and we don't just face towards him. But in order to be his disciple, we have to take up our cross and follow him. He talks in Matthew 10, and we'll probably look at this somewhere down the road. He said, I didn't come. He said, I came with a sword. A sword cuts and divides. He said, because of me, families are going to be separated. And some of you here this morning understand what that's like because of your commitment to Christ. Your family has basically ostracized you and kicked you out. And I went through a little bit of that, not a lot, but I went through a little bit of that when I gave my life to Christ. Christ. He says, father are going to turn against mother and mother against father, children against parents and parents against children. Why? For my sake. In other words, we have to be willing to give up everything for him, that he may be first. We call him Lord so easily without realizing what we're saying. Lord means he's entitled to everything even the right to make decisions about what I'm going to do with my life. He has the right if he's Lord. And Jesus said, in order to be my disciple, you must take up your cross as I took up mine and follow me. You must be willing to die. You must be willing to put your name on the line and die to who you are and what you want and your ambitions in order for me to begin to live my life in you and through you. And this was the secret that Paul found. Galatians 2.20, he shares it with us. He says, For I have been crucified with Christ. was past tense. And yet when Paul wrote it, he was walking around. Well, he was actually in prison when he wrote it, but he was, he was alive. He was still wearing this body, but he wasn't talking about nails being driven in his hands just yet. He was talking about what I want to do. My right to make the final decisions over my life. My right to decide this and my right to decide that and my privileges and my rights. My right if somebody said something against me to get back at them. When Jesus says, pray for those who despitefully use you. Do good to those who persecute you. That goes against every ounce of impulse I have except that's what I'm commanded to do. So I don't have the right anymore to decide, well, that sounds good. I know the Bible says that, but that means I'm still on the throne of my life. I haven't gone to my cross yet. And in Luke's account, he says, do this daily. Do this daily. And so as we look back and begin to bring this to a close, to 238 years ago when those brave men signed what we call the Declaration of Independence, it was a death warrant for them if they lost the war. When they signed that, they put everything on the line in order to have the freedom that you and I enjoy today. And I'm telling you this principle from the Bible. You cannot fully enjoy your freedom in Christ until you're also willing to put everything on the line for him. It sounds strange, but it's exactly what the Bible says. Because Jesus, at the end of that passage in Matthew 10, I was going to go into, but we didn't have time. At the end of that passage, he says, whoever tries to hold on to his life will lose it. And whoever gives his life up for my sake will find it. It's the opposite of what everything feels like to you feel like if I, if I give up my rights, my autonomy, if I, give my, if I give up control of my life, I'm going to lose everything. No, you gain the kingdom of God. You gain the peace of God that passes understanding. You gain the joy of the Lord. You gain the wisdom of God. You gain the intimacy of God. You gain all these things because they're part of Him and you gain Him as you begin to lay down Yourself. And so the freedom that we sang about earlier and the joy that the Bible says we're supposed to have, I see so few Christians who are joyful. I see so few Christians who are full of hope. I see so few Christians that are strong and consistent. I see so few Christians that have peace. And yet Jesus says, My peace I give you, my joy I give you. Why don't we have it in our lives? because we're trying to live in two worlds. We're trying to live with one foot in the kingdom of joy and peace and another foot in the kingdom of this world. And you can't have both. Young people, I, by the Spirit of God this morning, believe I'm challenging you to make some choices in your life. God has called some of you to be bold witnesses for Him. And you may look at yourself right now and say, I don't feel that at all. It's not based on how you feel. It's the call of God on your life. There are some of you that may be called to affect this government. There may be some of you that are called to affect the state. Some of you that are called to affect the church in the future. And you look at yourself and say, Well, I'm a teenager or I'm this age or I'm that. That's not how God sees you. But are you willing to be a Daniel? Are you willing to make the hard, short-term, temporary choices that will earn you a place in the kingdom of God that you will never, ever regret? That's the choices you have. And that's ultimately the choice that all of us have, whatever our age is. Let's pray. Father, your word this morning is both challenging but hopeful father as we look back and we remember the price that was paid for this nation to be brought into existence that i believe that you called and ordained this nation father we look at the price that our lord was willing to make that we might not just have a political freedom and religious freedom but we may be free from the fear of death and the power of sin power of Satan in our lives. And now you're challenging us in our response, not just to say yes, but to come to you and to respond by giving our lives back to you. Lord, we are come to you this morning and just be open and honest that to many of us, that's scary. Many of us, I, we don't know that we can do that all you're requiring of us this morning is to be willing. To be willing to allow you to work in our lives for you've said in your word that you want to be in our lives at work in our lives, that you are in us both to will and to do your good pleasure. And So we invite the Holy Spirit to come into all of the areas of our life this morning and begin to work in our areas of our life. and To shine his light and to begin to work to show us the things we need to let go of, and the habits we need to let go of, and the habits we need to develop. And for the grace to do that, we thank you. In Jesus' name.